testimony as you know the renunciation of of her former religion and her you know baptism so to speak you know stuff like that you know i do have some information on on some traditional witchcraft stuff and we're i'm going to read it to you and we're going to kind of compare it mm-hmm. to what isabel was saying uh with with her stuff you know, before we start getting into the facts and like the theories that are, that are all going to kind of be rolled up into one, because there are there are a few theories that that do hold some ground. But the first off is going to be the witch's rights of renunciation. Now, what this is meant mm-hmm. to do is this is meant to sever your religious ties of your own personal past. Now, this is done for two reasons. One is to shed the preconceptions forced by organized religion, including both the doctrines and the antithetic notion of hierarchical power of regards to enlightenment and as a symbol of rebirth, basically pretty much like a baptism. But as, as opposed to this, the quote unquote sin that you're washing away is the sin of your previous religious indoctrination and all that hypocrisy, all the human realities that accompany the notion of the quote unquote church. It is basically a freeing exercise. It is uh, one that supposedly cleanses ideologies imbued on you throughout your earlier life. So basically it's saying, you know, this is for if you were raised a Christian and you've had this stuff embedded in your brain forever. This is basically the ritual that you would do to wash all that away. So this is referred to as the witch's baptism. And this is one example of how it can be performed. Ideally, the rite should be done at a crossroad. And that would be some kind of four-way crossroad. You can also do it over a stream. And it can also be done over a fire. We'll get into that here in a second. Now, it's it's basically whichever one speaks to you the most because it is a ritual of transformation. You do need to bring something to light a fire. Uh, you know, you need wood. You can have a bonfire. You need some kind of sacred fire to light in a bowl or a cauldron or a vessel. And alcohol is one of the things nowadays that is preferred pour it into a circle and don't that you know they they give suggestions on what kind of alcohol to use and stuff like that but basically on site you want to make sure you are emotionally prepared you want to build your fire now depending on your chosen medium your window of opportunity will differ greatly there like i said you know up above we we mentioned you know a good time to burn you know wind weather you got to take all that stuff into account You know, it is suggested that you do build like a true fire, though. Now, the following part should be personalized to fit your taste as to how to wish to release the past. It is up to you. You can do it simply by speaking out loud that you rebuke the religion of your youth or past. Traditionally, this is done by rebuking the Holy Spirit of Christianity, the unforgivable blasphemy as so to oneself from its vice grip through the renunciation it can extend to any religion so this is basically can fit any religion that you would like i'm going to stop right here and if you do not want to hear the following go ahead and fast forward it probably about 30 seconds i state your name child of state your father's name and your mother's name 
reared in the faith of, quote, our Lord, Yahweh, Allah, etc., whichever one is, is your personalized religion, I rebuke these laws. No longer am I bound by tomes or cathedral walls, nor do I kneel at the altar of man, but I walk the crooked path proud, for I was born in the earth, in the heart of the tempest, and so I have become from whence I came, so I return. And that's basically the chant that you give right there. Now, there are a few other options that consist of writing these things out as like a, you know, you can write them out, you can be more specific, you can basically fit it to form you. I'll basically just right. end it right there because nobody needs to know like the details, details of it. You know, theoretically, you want to do this in, you know, your own specific way. Okay, I'm not going to go into too as many details as I as I can on this because, you know, this is privy information that not everybody deserves to know. Now, the thing about it, this well, is... T- something like that is very personal. It is If you very were personal. raised Christian, Catholic, you will find your own way... To do that, if you decide to, this is not anything we're endorsing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're not do, endorsing it. But, but basically, yeah, I wanted to use that to compare to the ritual that, that yeah that we can use to compare it to. I, we chose the traditional witchcraft path because it is the considered the old religion. It is considered the it's it's the original. It's before it had a name. This was what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. But it does go into another extreme. Now, if you decide to go into the traditional path, this would be the process that you would take to basically invoke the devil and sell yourself to the devil. Okay, so you can fast forward if you don't want to. This is probably going to take like a a couple minutes. Uh, I'm not going to go into exact detail because I don't want any of you selling your souls and invoking Satan or anything like that on my watch. So (laughs) we're going to, we're going to keep it pretty basic, but basically you would go forth to this crossroads. Um, It would be at the edge of town. Uh, You want a secluded place, a forest, the more secluded, the better Uh, you want to go right around midnight or when the moon is new, you want to go on a new moon. And for those of you who don't know the, the, the moon phases, you know, that's something obviously you would have to look up. What you want to take with you is the blood of a chicken or some kind of horned animal, two black candles tied into an X. You want anointing oil, a crown woven of young or oak or hickory, as well as you want to have a staff or some kind of like a walking stick, something of that nature. You have to have an accelerant, which would be, you know, something like isopropyl alcohol um, because it burns clean. Now, if it's cold out, that's obviously not going to work as, as well. You might want to bring some kind of chalk or some kind of dirt as well. Now, when can you I, feel the time... Can I make a w- suggestion? No, please. Go ahead. <laughs> Instead of isopropyl alcohol, since it burns away so fast and is very variable as far as winds and weather conditions, bring tiki torch instead or mm. the yeah. lighter fluid for charcoal. If that's something you decide to do, you know, that's all up to you. Yeah. But And here, here's something that I do need to state before I go a little bit further. Okay. Obviously we're not endorsing this. We're using this to compare it to what Isabel Gowdy 
stated in her confessions on how she went about doing this. Okay, so we're using it as a con- some kind of context to compare her confession to. This is a traditional way of doing this. Now, I will state this also. The Christian view of Satan or the devil is not the same as the old religion's view, as traditional witchcraft's view, as somebody who practices Luciferianism. I mean, you have a bunch of, it's funny because you actually have like a bunch of people out here nowadays who claim to be Satanists, but at the end of the day, they're, they're actually dumb fucking idiots like millennials and shit who like want to be different and think they're, they're funny or cool. But in all actuality, they have no clue what it's actually about, which I find funny and sad all at the same time, but that's a whole nother topic altogether. I'm sure you can relate to that. Jessica, you probably understand what I'm saying there. Absolutely. It's, it's, that's a difficult conversation. (laughs) It's a very difficult conversation, but Basically, how you go about when you feel the time is upon you, you mark in the dirt with your finger or uh, or or with a branch, uh, the symbol of the crossroads, which would be a plus sign uh, in a circle. And that that would be for this instance. Um, You adorn your head with a crown. Uh, You place the candles at the center of the circle at the cross and with the staff or the limb. uh, You knock the ground in a sequence of knock, 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 knock. Take the blood and drizzle around the circle in a counterclockwise fashion. Light the two candles, anoint your brow with the oil, sit before the circle on your knees and bow in the traditional manner, sitting on your heels with your arms stretched out before you and your forehead just off the ground. You ball your fists and knock in the same fashion as you just did above. You basically ask the devil to come forth and you repeat this three times. Now you return to your upright position and you wait patiently until there's a change in the air or you can feel his presence. Now, after that, I'm not going to go into detail the rest of it because there is very specific things that go on after this. But after you do your communion, when the communion is done, you remove the crown from your head, you place it in the circle, you drizzle it with the anointing oil with an accelerant and set it on fire with the candles and you extinguish the candles and lay them within the the wreath. And then you take your steps back from the circle and you whisper the words that I'm not going to say and you turn away and do not look back because it is it is customary in a crossroads ritual that you don't look back. You don't look over your shoulder. You're always moving forward. Now, the one thing that it will state is that be prepared because you will be tested by whatever presence may appear. So that's a basic traditional witchcraft ritual for evoking the devil within a witch's baptism. So, and I did leave a lot of information out because keep silent. So that's pretty much how you go about that. Okay. In response to that, when we compare it to what Isabel is stating, now, obviously, over the course of hundreds of years, things are going to change. So when you try to compare and contrast that to new, quote unquote, old ceremonies, and especially when, you know, going from America to Europe, you know, traditional witchcraft is something that, you know, like I said, it's the old religion. Um, Traditional witchcraft is specifically hereditary. 
they they are very proud of that. It's something that is passed down from generation to generation. So the number of people who practice true traditional witchcraft, uh, the old religion, are very few and far between. Now, there are different forms of it. Uh, obviously, there's different variations of it and stuff like that. But if you find the right person, you can be privy to that knowledge as well. Uh, you can be shown their lineage, their traditions, their rituals and stuff like that. So, you know, the information is out there. You know, with that being known, obviously, the comparison to Isabel Gaudi, you do see things that are the same, but you also see things that are a little bit different. Uh, what, what's your opinion on that, Jessica? Very different. In her circumstance, she was baptized by the devil. Exactly. So that would be yep. like a Christian being baptized by God. That's a very, very different circumstance than most people could ever say. Exactly. So her circumstance where she says she was baptized by the devil with her own blood, not the blood mm-hmm. of a animal or a yeah. sacrifice or anything like that. She didn't do it herself. She was in the company of others. There's differences. But in a lot of elements, it is very similar. Personally, I'm not sure how I feel about renouncing your past. Because at least to me personally, it isn't something that I believed in to begin with. So I have a hard time having to sit down and commit myself to something else when I didn't believe in something else for the first place. However, in Isabel's case, she was raised... Christian. She was raised to be a certain way in a certain mm-hmm. time. And in that time, you couldn't be anything other than Christian. Exactly. You could be a certain sect. Yeah. You could be and Protestant. Like, you could be yeah, Episcopalian. But you could not be anything else. Not exactly. like how we are today, where there's so many different ones all over the world. We had said earlier, even then, a lot of the Christians were still practicing. Mm-hmm. rituals or forms of the old religion while they were still Christian, which is super interesting. It is. And a lot of the old religion seems to be very helpful when you dive into it and look into it. A lot of it is healing. A lot of it is with health. And it doesn't have anything to really do with evil. It yeah. doesn't have anything to yeah. do with hurting people. It folk remedies. It chants. Even in some of her confessions, she started yeah. asking saints for help. Yeah, and it was it was really and interesting. The Holy Trinity. Exactly. Yep. Because in in the twenty seven incantations that she did state in her confessions, some of them were benevolent, other ones weren't. It was a mix. It was really really interesting. Right. And it wasn't even like a good mix either. It wasn't like a little bit here on the line, a little bit there. It was polar opposite, and it's mind-boggling the way she talks about these different things, about helping people, about healing people. If a baby is sick, you do this, and it's an old folk remedy, and you ask the saints and the Holy Trinity for help, mm-hmm. and then they just cut her off. Because that's not what they wanted to hear. Exactly. It's not what they wanted to hear at all, and it makes you wonder if a lot of this was legend and different tales that were already told and repeated, mm-hmm. or if this was something that she actually experienced and went through. 
Exactly. It's just so super intriguing. It really is. Just what we don't know about the confessions, I guess, is intriguing. On that note, I suppose let's uh, jump into some theories that have been tossed around about Isabel Gowdy. And the least plausible theory that I personally found, I'm not sure about you, Jessica, is the uh, ergot poisoning. For those of you uh, not, yeah. yeah, yeah. For for those of you not familiar with ergot poisoning, it was something that happened quite a bit back then, and it was the basis for a lot of the theories on the Salem witch trials. Um, the what was it? The dancing epidemic. I think that's what they call it, where all these all these yeah. people were randomly dancing until some of them fucking dropped dead. Uh, usually happened in rye bread and wheat. It, it basically, you. You ingest this poison and you're delusional. You have hallucinations, stuff like that. Now, I'm no medical doctor, okay? I will state that right now, as we all know. The reason I don't put very much stock in this theory is because even while she was incarcerated, she's eating food. She's eating food with other people, and not only people who are incarcerated, but people who are incarcerating her. You got to take that into account. And again, if she was poisoned, it wouldn't make much sense that her stories remained so detailed and so consistent. They never, they never varied. Her stories never changed. The details were always the same. And I don't think that somebody with ergot poisoning would would be able to maintain that level. You know, if that makes sense, I don't, I don't know if that's coming out right, but I don't think she would be able to hold the same accounts as detailed as she did for so long. If she was hallucinating after being, having a form of food poisoning or any kind of poisoning whatsoever, that, that would cause hallucinations. What are your thoughts on that, Jessica? Well, from my understanding, ergot has a similar effect to a mixture of acid and shrooms. Mm-hmm. If you've ever known anybody that's been on it or been on it yourself, mm-hmm. you know the effects of it. You know the symptoms of it. You know how long it lasts. Many people would have been affected by this if it were ergot poisoning. It mm-hmm. wouldn't have just been one middle-aged woman. It would have been kids. It would have been elderly it would have been the people that were interrogating her. Mm-hmm. It seems extremely unlikely that she would be going through a hallucination for six weeks, a month and a half of hallucinating. While incarcerated. Same exact thing. Exactly. It seems extremely unlikely that this would have happened. Exactly. I mean, I myself have not experienced it, but it doesn't sound like fun. No, it doesn't. To me, it just doesn't hold as much ground as people who say that is a theory. I really don't see it. Some of her, you know, and this is kind of goes in with the theories, but it is a fact. There were troops that were occupying Scotland at the time. And it was suggested that her relationship with the devil and the times that she had sex with the devil was she was possibly raped by those occupying soldiers uh, possibly numerous times. And this is not just Isabel. Like this is, you know, there, this was going on at this point in time. Like it was almost as I, as much as I hate to say it, this was almost a way of life for 
people of lower class, like it happened. And somebody suggested that it was a quote unquote fantasy response to the trauma of rape. You know, I could, I guess I might be able to, to see that in response to her, you know, relationship with the devil to her sexual relationship with the devil, but that doesn't explain everything else. I don't know. What, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Jessica? Uh, well, I think it's definitely more possible than air drop poisoning. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, with the psychology that follows people that have been raped, it's very common for people to develop fantasies regarding the experience. So again, for a Christian woman in the 1600s, what better way than to depict this person as the devil? Because to her, that is the devil. Yeah. It it does make sense. It does. But as you said, it doesn't make sense for the rest of it. It doesn't make sense for the incantations that she cited for the spells she recited during this confession. It only makes sense for the parts with the sexual activity with the devil. Other than that, we're left with a blank. We don't know where it comes from, if it's just folklore, if it's something she picked up along the way. It's too much to try to put together. Yep. That's I agree hundred percent. I mean it it is very plausible to, you know, nail down that one specific part of her confessions, but as for the rest of it, it doesn't add up. And because of that I just don't think that's very likely. So I guess next we would move on to mental illness. You know, some people say that she was crazy. You know, she was mentally unstable. She just had a very creative mind. Now, Isabel was known as having a big imagination. She was known. uh, I did read in a couple places and I don't know where they got this information, but the research that they did was years and years and years of research compared to, you know, my two weeks and compared to your, you know, month and a half or two months. I can't remember when I, when I threw this episode at you, but about that, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was a while ago, (laughs) but yeah, they, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. I'm always behind. I'm always running behind, but they, uh, Oh, that's fine. Oh, (laughs) all right. I don't think it's mental illness because even after she confessed and gave the names of other people, those people concurred her information and gave the names of more people. So if she's mentally ill, then is everybody else mentally ill too? I'm not seeing it. And then if she was mentally unstable, another point to bring up is the consistency of the stories. If she was mentally unstable, I don't think she would have been able to hold the consistency of those stories, you know, whether she was tortured or not. You know, that's just my personal opinion. I would love to hear what you have to say about that, Jessica. Well, I mean, first, I have to say that I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yeah, I neither have no idea I. what I'm talking about when it comes to this. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. But me neither. From my personal experience with others and myself, if she were mentally ill, it would explain her coming in and giving the first confession. Yes. If she were tortured or suicidal. in any way held in person, suicidal, anything, her confession would have changed mm-hmm. in some way. Not just in the way that it, w- it may have been led by others, but 
in a more dramatic or extravagant way. Yeah. It would have come to a lot of parts that didn't make sense or didn't correlate with any tradition or any folklore. And she would have just been made out to be a mad woman. I, I don't think it would have been as well documented or taken as seriously. I don't think she was either. I don't think they would have taken it as serious as they did at the time. I think they would have known. They would have seen signs that she wasn't all there. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it wasn't, it's not like it was an infrequent occurrence then. They just hid it better then, I suppose, mm-hmm. if somebody was mentally ill. But she didn't really seem mentally ill other than the possibility that she may have been depressed and yes. she may have been suicidal. And that's just from what we have documented of things yeah. she actually said where she felt guilty and she wanted to die. Or she was just that unhappy with her life in her current relationship, right. you know, her marriage. Um, it was stated in a couple places I read that she was not happily married you know she didn't really care for her husband that much at the same time you never hear anything from him like that that's one aspect too that i found really interesting there's no mention of him giving any testimony there's no mention of him at all with the exception of his name and him being married to her right i mean personally if i were in her situation and my husband didn't do anything didn't stand up for me nothing i'd be pissed oh i'm sure so upset but her situation is a tough one especially if true and she just walked in and confessed all of this then what is he supposed to do if my husband walks in and says he's a bomber for a major city what am i supposed to do am i supposed to say no there's no way he could do this while he's sitting there saying yes i did i don't know what to think about him (laughs) because he may just be staying out of it like i don't understand any of this i don't want to be involved Yep. I love her, but see ya. Yeah, I'm Which, out. <laughs> most likely, that's what my own husband would do. And be like, I'm out. In 2018. Later. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, I got no idea what's going on. Don't ask me. That's. But I don't know. Very, I got, no, that's a very good point. Wait, I got weird. I don't know what to think about her husband. Yeah, and, the, and there's no mention of kids ever, before, during, or after. As me and you were saying, had, like a woman at that time period, there's usually a bunch of kids by the age of like 19, you know? Right. But in a lot of circumstances, especially in times like this, where someone is accused of something and they're the woman at the household, they're no longer hers. They're her husband. So they may not document that they were her children, especially if he only appeared as her husband. Yeah. And he did not want the children mentioned, especially if they were underage Given her age, it's, I mean, they could be, because we don't really know her age. We just know that she's over 40. Yeah, and where that came from was she's often viewed as being in her 20s. Uh, and that's because of, in 1833, um, her confessions were first published, and that's where her legend sprang into action. Walter Scott was the one that got the information on Isabel Gowdy from Robert Pitcairn. Robert Pitcairn was going through historical documents and basically rewriting them so that people of that time in the 1830s could understand it. And whenever he came across basically a juicy story 
he would pass it along to Walter Scott, which any literary fan will know who Walter Scott is. I find it dry. I can't do it. I tried, but (laughs) he essentially made a book about her. Initially, she was a middle-aged woman. Devil was the source of fun and the story. The book was basically designed designed to make money. Oh, yeah, for sure. He describes the similarities in Macbeth to the Scottish Wishes, and he really roots the idea of the coven into his book. In reality, it had no real basis in European witchcraft trials. Like, they didn't try to really find out who else was in this coven with other people. If you confess to being a witch, that's fine. You're a witch. They did mm-hmm. not make it an agenda to find everybody else in your coven. Yeah. But at some point, Isabel became the maiden of the coven. She was beautiful, fiery red hair, young, with this prudish um, Protestant husband who basically would sleep with his boots on, told tales of her 12 co- coven mates and being the devil's mistress. And she was depicted that way in a lot of fiction writing. But the important thing to remember is it's fiction. Pitcairn's depiction during her trial is the most accurate we can find because he depicts her as a middle-aged woman, maybe unhappy in her marriage, but that doesn't really matter. It's all about her actual confession. Yes. He even calls out the people that say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on her confession during the parts, which he flat out states would have gotten her convicted. So he's not necessarily the bad guy, but in a way he kind of is because he gave that information to somebody else to make a story out of it. That is exactly right. Um, Personally, yeah, I don't don't really think it was mental illness. I really don't. You know, and obviously me and you are, neither of us are psychologists or psychiatrists, but when you, when you look at the facts of the story, you look at how it's evolved over the hundreds of years. And the one fact still remains that her stories are so famous and so well-known because they were so well-documented, so detailed, and they remained the same. Like she was so consistent in what she said every single time it was... That's why there was so much attention drawn to it. Yeah, nobody else had ever given confessions like she did, especially not reciting spells and incantations the way she did. Exactly. And and she was, and I mean, we can all agree that whether Isabel was, a, you know, somebody who practiced witchcraft and, and all that, I think we all can agree at this point from the information that me and Jessica have given you, if she wasn't then she was around people who did. She was raised by people who did because her knowledge of the folklore, which I'm sure everybody knew, but her knowledge of all these things that were corroborated by the other people that she named during her confessions is, is just too much to deny. She had knowledge that was not known by other people as as a person who's not technically normal, you know, I I th- honestly think that she was a witch. I think she did practice the old religion personally. I that she just knew too much and was 
I don't think anybody could be that well versed in something and not personally know about it or practice it. You know, that's just me. Um, what do you think? What do you think, Jessica? This is kind of a hard one with her practice. I mean, obviously, it's from 400 years ago. So it's hard to pin down exactly <clears throat> what practice she followed. Exactly. Yeah, that's and very especially true. especially now with so many different influences. Uh, now, it's, all, it's hard to find the information on her. Yeah, it's all, all the exactly waters are like muddied it. now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think a lot is generalized. I think she was, she was into like the early folk magic personally of the, of the, of the time and of the area. But that's just, that's just my personal right. opinion, I guess. And a lot of people are wa- going to want to try to relate it to today. Oh yeah. And it's try impossible. To make sense of it in it's today's term. Well, I mean, she has a lot, a lot of similarities in hedge witchcraft. And it, the practice of hedge witchcraft, if you ask 20 people who practice witchcraft what hedge witchcraft is, you're going to get a lot of different answers. The same general description is going to include a border between either the living or the dead the homestead and the wilderness and it's all accurate to an extent what the definition of a hedge which is the hedge in hedge witchcraft represents not just a fence of shrubs and wildlife but it represents the border between our material world and the other world whether that's fairies, the underworld, heaven, whatever you want to discern it as, that is that head. They practice Mm -hmm. trance work or journey work, journeying, whatever you want to describe it as. And that's why they cross the border from this world into the next to contact spirits on the other side to learn from them, to bring back knowledge. A hedge witch may also use this ability to enter a trance for healing rituals, physical and mental, and also to perform divination. So it's kind of an all-access kind of practice. It's mm-hmm. not something that you have to use tools for all the time, like a lot of people do now with Wicca and similar traditions that are used now where you have to use a lot of tools. This is strictly in your mind and using energies and contacting those that have already passed practices are very very shamanic which when you read isabel gowdy's confessions just her confessions of transforming into these animals or flying you see a lot of those accounts in accounts of shamanic practice Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if it's just hedge witchcraft that can be native american it can be Anything, if you look at any shamanic practice, a lot of them have depictions of while they're in this trance state, transforming into animals or going to people's houses or taking on different forms of any kind or communicating with people that they haven't been able to. It's a very common occurrence with this practice. And a lot of times they'll use spirit guides to aid them or to guide them from world to world or from the material world to the other world or vice versa. Agreed. And it's 
it's not anything new. This is something that has been practiced for thousands and thousands of years. The hedge witch is essentially a witch doctor. Mm-hmm. The only difference being that their practices are usually based in European witchcraft, and most li- likely stemming from different traditions here versus Southern traditions. Yes. Whether it's Africa or Australia or any of those, any place where you can find a witch doctor, if you ask them about this astral travel, they're going to give very similar accounts. Ours, the Northern, the European, the Asian, usually seem to include fairies or pagan ancestors. And when a hedge witch hedge rides, they travel to the other world communicate with not just spirits, but animal guides, ancestral spirits guides, or they simply transform to the form of relaxation. They just relax, take in the information, and not all hedge witches, especially now, will enter the other world. And a lot of times, it's hard to figure out exactly where you're going when it comes to this trance-like state. Because when you're in it, if you've ever experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't really have complete control over it. Because once you start really thinking about it, it stops. But in this tradition, once you start, you'll find a tree. And once you find that tree, that tree is supposed to help make astral travel easier. That tree connects to all three realms. It reaches deep into the earth, allowing access to the lower realm. It represents the middle realm in the trunk and reaches to the sky, allowing access to the upper realm. The world tree typically is considered to be an ash that stands close to the hedgerow. is a thin veil between our world and the next. So how would, I, how would, how would that relate to Isabel Gowdy? Most likely, if she were hedge riding, I believe these these trees, especially the ash, do grow in Scotland. It's not like they're going to be hard to find. If she were riding the hedge and she were able to transform into a cat or a hare or a crow, she would be able to do those in the astral realm. And that's not an uncommon occurrence when you talk to people who have been able to do this. It's not uncommon for them to be able to transform into different beings during their astral travel. And oftentimes the world looks very similar, almost like a shadow of what we currently have. So you'd still be able to see your neighbor's house and the next house over, it would just be darker. And it's still you doing this. It is still you going through all this. And a lot of people, especially from what I've read from other witches who have experienced being in the astral realm or in the fairy realm, if they get hurt, scratch, anything, once they come back, they do have those markings on them. Even though they have not moved, they can be sitting in the same spot in their living room. Nobody's been in or out yet they have scratches or bruises or broken bones. So do you think Isabel was a witch? It's kind of a hard one with Isabel. I mean, a lot of her accounts can add up to it, but with the mix 
of different theories and different practices. I'm not sure if she was strictly a witch or maybe a folk healer or maybe mm-hmm. a woman that was very sad and knew a lot of stories. That's very true. Very true. It could be anything with her. It could be. And that's what's so intriguing, I guess you could say. So do you I think, want to think she's a witch? I personally think that she was. You know, that's just my personal opinion. Now, I guess the big question is, do you think she lived? Yeah. I do, too. And it's funny because you look at researchers and and scholars and all that stuff, and they literally still debate it, whether or not she lived or died. You know, some are like, no, she most certainly would have been taken out of there and executed. But at the same time, like me and you were saying earlier, if that was the case, somebody would have documented it. There's no way that that would have for as big, like you said, it was the OJ Simpson trial of 1662. There's no way that wouldn't have been documented if she died. Well, even still, even if it's somehow mentioned to slip through, I think still, if she would have died, there had been some kind of documentation. Some kind of follow-up, even like, yes, we did it from that church. Something would have said that she was no longer here. I agree with you totally. So I guess, is there anything else you want to throw onto the debate, Jessica? Um, I think Isabel Gabby is fascinating. Extremely fascinating. Yes, absolutely. And there's so many that have come before her and after that were equally fascinating. However, nobody has earned a title as she has in the pagan community as Queen of the Witches mm-hmm. as she has. Exactly. It's from that tale that she has left behind that she has earned that. Whether she was a witch or not doesn't matter anymore just from the ridicule alone that she must have endured, let alone the torture, she's earned it. I think she has. So now I got to ask the question, was co-hosting an episode uh, everything you you dreamed it would be? It was much more relaxing (laughs) than I thought it was going to be. I told you. I freaking told you. You kept freaking out. She's like, I'm so nervous. I was like, dude, it's going to be totally fun. Don't worry about it. I think the six pack helped. I'm pretty sure it did. I'm pretty sure it did. (laughs) <laughs> I know it helped me like while we were recording like you listeners don't know but I probably took like half a dozen pisses while we were recording this if not maybe more I don't know because we me and you have been on the phone recording this and talking for about five and a half hours now uh-huh. but no I'm glad that you had fun and obviously you know as well as I do you're welcome back anytime so thank you, you this is a well, fascinating episode and Holy wormhole with everything surrounding it. There's so much going on. Easily, just from parts of the story, you could branch off and do five more. Yeah. And I'll give a special shout out to the the one-star review I got this week for uh, uh, being a podcast that does shitty research. Fuck that guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's about all you can say about that. Literally got a one-star review saying all that. 
Well, maybe he's a little picky. A little picky and a little fucking stupid, Jessica. But, you know. Oh, well. Well, it was a fun episode, though, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. It's It's been how long that I've been looking into her. Yeah, a couple months. Were you familiar? You weren't familiar with her before I brought it up, were you? No, I had no idea who she was. Um, the only names from witch trials that I was familiar with were ones in the U.S. So oh, yeah. Well. well, I tell you what, Anna Taylor out of England is a really good one to look into, too. She's very, very fascinating as well. So there's yeah. another one for you to to jump down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and I love I love the story of Agnes. As much as I hate it, I love it. Yeah, it was pretty wild, extremely I sad. Mean, I could not. I mean, my grandma is in her 70s. I couldn't imagine somebody treating her that way. So I have no respect for the people that interrogated her or any of the women that were, or men, that were accused of witchcraft yeah. during these days. I understand the fear, and I can understand wanting to rid yourself into other people of this influence, but to what extent do you go to where it turns you into what you fear most? Exactly. And that's not fair. It's not. And I may be pagan, and I may be a witch, but that doesn't give anybody the right to treat me the way they did these people. And nowadays, that wouldn't go, of course. No, of course not. No, I wholeheartedly agree with you. It's just, you know, the atrocities, people are scared of what they don't understand. And that still stands true today, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I love people. I love hearing their stories. (laughs) Me too. And this was definitely, definitely a good one to share with the world. Hopefully they take it upon themselves to, to look into it a little bit more. So. And if anybody finds evidence of what happened to her after. Yes. Let us Please give us that information. I'm pretty sure, (laughs) pretty sure we won't get that email, but (laughs) fucking. I know, but I can can hope for it. I can hope for it because I really want to know whether she was executed or not. I just want to fucking know. Well, I don't even care about that. I want to know if she had kids. I want to know if her early life was happy. I want to know if she, well, of course, I want to know if she was executed executed i want to live i want to know if she lived to be like 90 oh for sure i just want to know there's no closure to this in any way shape or form nope none at all it's totally open-ended which is fun for speculation and theories for sure why'd you make me do this Uh, because i don't like you that's <laughs> <laughs> no, no um, closure at all. <laughs> no, we we've been friends on Instagram long enough, and I I saw your posts, and I was like, she's uh probably perfect for this one. So, kind of well, kind of threw threw it out there. So, any more witchy or cult episodes you would like to have me on? Let me know. I had fun. Good. I'm glad you did. I, I like doing the research. Oh, stop. Nobody likes doing that. Oh, I I drove some people crazy while doing it. <laughs> it, was so, it was fucking hilarious, though, because you're like, uh, before we started recording, you're like, how do you do this all the time? And it's like, this is my life right here. I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, yeah. I might be able to do one <laughs> subject, but I don't know how you bounce from something like Doc Holiday to Isabel Gowdy. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I yeah, I'm recording a, an episode tomorrow on an uh, on a case update on the Bennett family murders that got solved. Like I just jump around quite often. <laughs> I don't know. Got to keep the train rolling, man. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> It'll be pretty interesting, and then you know I got a really really good one coming up. Uh, you know next weekend, so. It'll be another uh, death of an on-duty police officer that is debated whether or not it was suicide or murder. So, oh, it's going to get your wheels turning. I actually got granted permission to use previously unreleased information. So pretty excited about that. All right. Well, I'm glad you had fun, Jessica, and I will tag you when I when I post this episode. And I can't thank you enough for joining me. Thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure was all mine. I'm glad you agreed to do it. Of course. All right. Outstanding. Well, I suppose I will talk to you later then. Okay. I'll talk to you later. All righty. Bye. Bye.